thanks to our show sponsors, Real Ag on the Weekend, The Canola School, and Adama Canada. While other sources of innovation run dry, Adama is here to deliver. Leveraging the world's largest library of actives to provide innovative crop protection solutions to your greatest challenges. We're all in on you. Talk to your Adama sales rep today. All right, welcome to The Agronomist. Uh, surprise, uh, Lindsay's actually not hosting tonight. It's uh, a bit of a last-minute shuffle here on uh, on the show, and I like that uh, Peter Johnson, Wheat Pete, uh, yeah, we can, let's let's blame Lindsay still that the show is starting late. Uh, <laughs> I'm Kelvin Hepner, and uh, I get the honor of filling in for uh, for Lindsay as her, uh, she, they had a, a storm roll through, or a couple storms it sounds like, intense storms rolled through uh, her area in the Ottawa Valley earlier today, and uh, they currently don't have power. The power is not back, so Hydro One crews uh, did not uh, come through in uh, in uh, successfully bringing Lindsay back to host tonight. But uh, there's something about the topic that we're we're covering today. This is already a, a second chance, second tr- attempt at uh, at covering this topic. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, this is uh, the lineup that we had for uh, the Agronomist two weeks ago when. Kara Oosterhouse was uh, was hosting, and her power went out in uh, in, in southern Alberta where she lives. And so, uh, we're, I think we're already making it further into the show tonight than uh, than she did two weeks ago. So, the topic tonight is sclerotinia, uh, sclerotinia stem rot. It's the same fungus that uh, causes white mold in soybeans, but we're going to be talking about uh, this disease from and other diseases from a, a canola perspective when it comes to prevention management, spraying decisions, mitigation, all those types of aspects around sclerotinia in canola. And so uh, looking forward to our, our conversation. And uh, before I bring our guests in, I should note, uh, if you are uh, looking for CEU credits, if you collect CEU credits, uh, make sure to visit realagriculture.com slash agronomist tomorrow uh, to claim those. You can fill out the info and claim your CEU credits for, uh, for watching this evening's show. Also, uh, if you have any comments or questions along the way, shout out to Ray Dalbanco and, and Wheat Pete, as already mentioned in the comment section already. Uh, feel free to drop a comment or question along the way if you have insight to add or a question about something that uh, our guests say. And uh, with that, why don't we bring our, uh, our experts in for uh, this evening's show. Uh, first up, we have Lyle Jensen with Agro Plus, based in uh, southern Alberta, the Lethbridge area. Nobleford, I believe, Lyle, is that right? Yep, that is correct, right uh, here in Nobleford. And you work as an agronomist with, uh, with, with farmers in the area in southern Alberta? Yes, although I do work for retail, I do operate much like any other contract agronomist, and I have my own specific customers that I deal with in the area. All right, cool. That gives us some context where Lyle's coming from. Also joining us, we're pleased to welcome back Jeanette Goche of BASF, and uh, good to see your face tonight, Jeanette. And I centered myself again. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about the software we use for this. It's mirrored. So you want to move this way, uh, you move the other way on the camera. So that's what Jeanette's referring to here when it comes to uh, working with technology. And yes, Pete's uh, technology can be challenging at times. It, it offers us many opportunities and the opportunity to have a show like this, uh, which I think Lindsay has done a great job building over uh, the last year or two that it, the agronomist has been running. But uh, yeah, there are still some challenges along the way. So why don't we start with talking about sclerotinia as a, a disease and, and the risk that we've seen this year. Of course, uh, dryness has been a, the theme. Uh, drought has been the theme in, in parts of Western Canada again this year. Jeanette, you're based here in southern Manitoba, just like I am. 
Uh, it's been dry in, in large pockets, but quite variable. You don't have to drive far to, to see quite a, a difference between uh, moisture situation. What have you seen in terms of uh, sclerotinia risk and uh, issues around this, this fungus this year? So probably start assessments. I'm on the west side, so I think we're a little bit behind you guys, but uh, that cool spell we had really, I don't know, flowers are still hanging on. Um, you know, definitely people were saying that they had seen apothecia. Some people said they hadn't seen apothecia. I don't know um, people with better eyes than mine, but I'm not always good at finding them. And I don't find that that, that means that the risk isn't there. Um, the other amazing thing about this year is that despite our dryness, and I should say Manitoba dryness, and you're right, it's been Goldilocks year a bit. You either have too much, too little, or it's just right for now. But the canola canopy in a lot of places is still really dense. And so we know that can definitely harbor its own microclimate if we've had moisture at some point in recent memory. And so that's also something to factor in. So I, I think the canola crop is looking good. It's definitely something, um, you know, that growers already would have made their decision on. For the most part, we're done wrapped up fungicide spraying. And uh, fungicides are interesting that way. It's a little bit of a crapshoot, right? You have to make that guesstimate. And uh, I think a lot of people did pull the trigger in the end. Um, last year, we did have sclerotinia on the west side as well. Um, and it was seemingly dryish as well. So it'll be interesting. I've definitely got some follow-up fields to go see, um, to see who was right and who wasn't, I guess. Yeah. Lyle, how about in, in your part of the prairies this year? Yeah, we've been extraordinarily dry here so far. A lot of fields after seeding didn't get any moisture until the middle of June. And we've had, I think I could probably count the, the mornings we've had dew on one hand so far this season. So dryland canola has been a pretty easy decision to, uh, nobody's even really thought about spraying. But irrigation, we still have all the traditional risks. We know the disease is going to be there. We know that the moisture is in place and we do develop that humidity within the canopy. So, you know, we have everything from absolutely burned off canola that's rapidly going downhill to some of the nicest irrigated canola I've ever seen. Yeah, I guess you have irrigation. That, so I, that's something here in Manitoba we don't have as much of uh, canola under irrigation. So then, of course, you're always, always thinking about uh, disease risk in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter noting in Ontario, and there are probably some lessons that can be learned across crops here too when it comes to white mold sclerotinia in terms of scouting and, and some of these practices here too. We Pete noting that uh, they're in the heat of the battle in Ontario right now with white mold pinbeans just starting to pinbeans just starting on uh, edible bean fields, and that's something we would have here in southern Manitoba as well. That consideration with uh, and on and parts of Alberta, I'm assuming as well, Lyle, when it comes to uh, edible and dry beans. How do you, Lyle, when it comes to that decision, Jeanette mentioned how hard it can be to, to find that apothecia on the ground. How do you go about making that decision whether to, uh, whether to spray? Well, a big part of it is, did we get moisture in the critical period 
or disease development. So in irrigation, of course we did, right? We Generally, we're keeping those ground conditions fairly wet, and if you search long enough, you are going to find those on the, on the soil. Um, but dry land, different story. You know, if we have no rain three to four weeks ahead of flowering, it's not much of a decision. Um, there is some years here where we do get, you know, more than adequate rainfall, although it seems recently pretty rare. But, uh, you know, we do have a history of spraying dryland canola here as well, but not so much the last few years for sure. Yeah, makes sense. Jeanette, what do we need in terms of, uh, there's, of course, the, the scientific test of uh, when you walk through the field and how wet your pants get. Uh, <laughs> what do we need in terms of conditions for that that sclerotinia apothecia to, to survive and, and to thrive and, and expand. Uh, Jason's talking about the, the fairy rings he's seeing in the yard already after just a few showers. What do we, what do we need in terms of uh, moisture to complete that disease triangle for, for this fungus? I, I love the wet pant test. For me, um, I, I know that um, mm -hmm. risk models are, are in development in the background currently. Um, I don't know that there's been anything good and we kind of chatted about that kelvin i don't think that there's anything available currently um, that you can look at and so and and we did talk about rains being very spotty like everything being very uh, storm dependent so where half of a farm might have had an inch and then the rest of the farm had two tenths so i think it really does is field dependent so we do need moisture um, definitely, we need that to get it going. Um, there's, there, I don't think you need a ton of moisture though. And like I say, sometimes even just having that humidity to keep that moisture within the canopy, and that's really where that wet pants comes in important. You know, often we're like, ah, oh, it's, it's hot and, you know, it's humid, but it's 40% humidity and it's 10 a.m. and it's, you know, it's feeling warm and dry, but then you walk in that crop and that's, I think, what really tells you. And I think the other thing too is that, um, you know, when did that moisture happen? So is it closer to the crop? And then the other thing to think about too is that some places we're getting smaller shots, but consistent shots of moisture. And so while it seemed like not much moisture at the time, often this adds up and again, I think really looking back into that canopy and seeing what the moisture is in that canopy is probably the biggest factor. Um, the other thing, and I love that someone already mentioned dry beans. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Rob Miller from Ontario always says if, is, if the grass is green, white mold is keen, and that really relates to, to moisture, which doesn't always apply here. Sometimes, again, we've got more humidity inside of our crop than we do on our front lawn. Um, but I think thinking also too of other risk factors, like here in Manitoba, we do have dry beans, we do have sunflowers, um, we do have other crops like soybeans, peas, um, you know, they're maybe a little bit more tolerant to, to white mold, but then things like dry beans and sunflowers in rotation that, that just contribute to that risk. Yeah, I know it might be a little bit early in the show here to play a clip, but uh, one of our clips uh, tonight, it features Luis Del Rio Mendoza. Jay, why don't we load this one up already? Uh, Luis is with uh, North Dakota State University, and 
I see Peter has asked a question about there being a prediction model for canola like we have like they have for soybeans in Ontario. I don't know for other diseases we have prediction maps and, and models in, in Western Canada. Uh, this is something that uh, Luis actually talks about from a North Dakota perspective, and it also ties in uh, very nicely with what Jeanette just talked about on the rotation side of things in terms of host crops for, for this disease. So, Jay, why don't we play that uh, that clip, if you can, right now, and we'll also hear from our sponsors for tonight's show right after that. So, uh, if we space the times in between canola crops, like, say, canola, then wheat, and then barley or another grass, that way, we are buying time for the sclerosia to just die down, okay? Uh, the sclerosia that has been on the ground for four years or three years is, is going to be weakened. It's going to be uh, incapable of producing enough amounts of spores, and that's how crop rotations can help us. But the other way that we can uh, optimize management of the disease is trying to estimate the risk of infection. Now, the main factors that contribute to the risk of infection are uh, precipitation and temperature. So if you have a weather station, you can collect information from that and then use that information and data that you can obtain in a field to develop uh, programs that could estimate the risk. We have done that at one point back in North Dakota, and now we are producing this type of, this type of maps. In this map, we are using color-coded uh, images to reflect risk. So the red one is high risk, the green is low risk, the intermediate is basically in between. But in addition to that, we are providing growers now with a risk calculator that includes a series of questions so that the grower can provide some input that is specific for their own fields and then combine that with a general risk of this, this area and obtain then a more tailored information for their fields. This uh, uh, risk map estimator is available uh, through apps that can be up, uh, open in, in cell phones, so growers can, can use it. Our sponsors tonight are Adama Canada, The Canola School, and Real Ag on the Weekend. Real Ag on the Weekend broadcasts live at 4 p.m. Saskatchewan time on 650 CKOM Saskatoon and 980 CJME Regina in partnership with Rawco Radio. Can't listen at 4 p.m.? The show is also available at realagriculture.com, the Real Ag podcast feeds, and on cjme.com and ckom.com as a podcast download. All right, so there we go. In, in North Dakota, they have a model. I know the Canola Council of Canada is working on something when it comes to sclerotinia as well, and I think some companies as well, BASF might be as well, uh, Jeanette, when it comes to uh, these prediction models that uh, Wheat Pete was asking about. While, how do you use any tools in terms of uh, predicting uh, conditions, the environment, whether the environment has been right for that apothecia to uh, to germinate, and or for the sclerotia to germinate, I should say? Uh, this is where Lindsay would be better at explaining the technical side of this, asking the technical <laughs> questions. The sclerotia to germinate to produce that apothecia. Do you use any tools for that, Lyle? Nothing digital or anything like that. Just the old uh, Mark One eyeballs, I suppose, for uh, spotting uh, anything out in the field. Uh, dry land this year. I mean, it was a pretty easy decision, but 
irrigation. We don't need a tool to tell us that we're pretty much always going to have enough moisture and enough ground cover on canola. Yeah, I guess it's pretty black and white in, in that situation. I should note that Lindsay is in the comments. The power is back on in Kinburn, she says. Uh, speaking of spotty showers, they just had two big downbursts down west of Ottawa. I guess that was enough to take the power out. So, And Jason also commenting about uh, soil moisture in, in Manitoba, questioning whether we're still at a, a deficit. And I know we've talked about how spotty it can be, uh, the moisture situation, and even just... I guess heavy dews for a few days uh, in a row could be enough for it to survive. And if, if you're, again, if you, if you do the wet pants test, uh, that's where uh, that's where I guess that comes into play. But uh, Jason commenting that uh, he feels that there are still areas where there wasn't enough moisture to, uh, to germinate that sclerotia. Question from Lindsay for Lyle. Under irrigation, do you turn off the pivots during that peak flower period? I guess that's a good question. You know, I get that phone call usually at least a couple times a year, and I think it was more true, you know, 10, 15, even 20 years ago when pivots were still using a lot of impulse sprinklers. They would quite commonly knock a lot of flowers off. And I mean, we do still knock some flowers off with our modern sprinkler packages, but it's not nearly the concern that it was before. Um, as far as disease development, it usually starts, you know, a couple weeks before flowering in order for that spore release at that critical time. So I don't think, you know, sprinkling at flower timing is going to really affect disease very much other than just maybe increasing petal fall a little bit. Okay. What about, uh, well, you alluded to it already, Jeanette, crop rotation, other host crops, sunflowers. We, Pete, called it a, a magnet, I believe it was, for, for sclerotinia. Sunflowers are a magnet for sclerotinia. How do you uh, how do you work that into the risk decision, Jeanette, when it comes to uh, figuring out whether it could be a problem for you in a field? Yeah, I'm probably more with Jason. I um, I just feel like we are either in areas where it's pretty heavy wheat canola, or when we do have a, a more of a rotation, more options, other crops to go into. Often we are, it, it's still broadleaf cereal, broadleaf cereal, right? So I don't feel like it's the same type of break you get for say black leg or something that's more crop specific or specific to canola so and and again some things are a little bit more tolerant i mean we're less likely to see uh, white mold in, in soybeans here in manitoba and say ontario um, unless conditions are really wet uh, but again just knowing what is in the rotation um, but then i'm i'm with jason i think it depends more we probably did have canola within the last you know three to four years on most farms and then other broadleaf crops and so i just feel like if the conditions are there and he's probably right i i think in the east you guys have been a little bit drier um even last year whereas last year i i do feel like um you know even out west and then this year the storm pass seems to track through a corner of saskatchewan and then along the same path in manitoba and so yeah if you do have just a little bit of moisture to get it started. That's really all we need, right? It's a one well-timed rain and then that humidity in the canopy. Here's a question from Peter here for you, Lyle. Isn't moisture with petal drop in the crop what is crucial for infection? Are you relying on fungicides to overcome that at that time or, or what, uh, 
what's your response to, to Peter's It question? is, but also... Oh, sorry, the leg is getting me here. Um, it is very crucial, of course, like it is part of that disease development. But the canola is also going into peak flower timing and needs a lot of moisture. And especially when we can't rely on rain here, like I think we've gotten like 40 mils since December. You know, <laughs> we we need a lot of water on that canola. If we fall behind at flower timing, we will never catch up because a lot of the time, a lot of our pivots were only putting down, you know, three quarters of an inch at a time. It goes by pretty quick. Yeah. How much do you rely on genetics or, or factor genetics into uh, into the decision process that you, when you're working with growers? But... Oh, quite a like... bit, but it's getting actually more difficult the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. A lot of the canola seed, like if you ask the retail or if you ask me, it's now getting a lot more difficult to actually establish exactly what races it is resistant to. And uh, yeah, a lot of them are not really talking much about Slaritinia resistance in the canola seed at all anymore. I think it's a little bit of a tricky topic for some seed breeders. Okay. Would you in the past, you, so you, do you think there's been change or uh, d more diversity introduced in terms of the, the races of Slaritinia that we're dealing with? Or would, would a model such as what we're moving towards with Blackleg when it comes to under, understanding races and matching up genetics against it, what Australia has been doing. Do you, do you think something like that is a direction that we should move in with canola and scarotinia? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it, it's handy to have all the, the published races and stuff of Blackleg. Um, I haven't seen anything like that for scarotinia in this area anyways, but uh, I've been busy in the field for the last couple of months. Maybe I'm missing yeah. something. No, I haven't seen it either. Jeanette, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I, I might take the opposite viewpoint there. I actually feel like fungicides, of course, I, I would say that coming from BSF, but I, I really do believe this as an agronomist that uh, sclerotinia, it's unpredictable predictably, right? When we do have tools to manage it, um, whereas I feel like something like Black Lake, we do rely heavily on genetics. And so, um, you know, I do feel like we do have ways that we can can manage our sclerotinia. And then I've just found in the past, and I get I should be careful saying this since I do work for BSF, but those that sclerotinia resistance was <laughs> so my thought there is just let's stick with what's working currently until something, you know, if there is something more proven that does hit the market, that would be great. But until then, uh, I think we are fortunate to have some good tools. Okay. We have, of course, uh, over the last number of years, especially here in Manitoba and on the eastern side of the prairie, seen more verticillium uh, showing up in, in canola. And I, I know, you, Jeanette, you have some slides here uh, with some excellent pictures. Uh, when we're scouting for sclerotinia, whether we spray it or not, uh, we get to later in the season, swath timing, harvest timing. What should we be looking for when it comes to uh, assessing whether or not we have a sclerotinia problem that affected our yield? Yeah, I I feel like if you can get out to your fields that maybe were wetter or like you can pr prioritize your fields, right? Maybe you had a canola crop that was worth spraying. Um, the conditions were there. So those are the fields that you want to go back and check 
make sure that what you did do is working or if you didn't spray make sure that you were correct in your assessment right so so making sure that's there um, but the other thing is and, and Lyle mentioned it too we've got black lake we've got verticillium we've got lots of things going on in canola so I think unless we get out into the field and actually look for those symptoms and here you definitely have that white mold that's how sclerotinia gets gets its name there um, in dry beans and then often we do see that bleaching and then further as the disease progresses we can crack open that stem and see the sclerotia bodies in there so we do want to confirm that what we're actually seeing in the field and um, i can say from manitoba standpoint that verticillium is a is a great imitator and i do feel like they're starting to find it more commonly in, in parts of saskatchewan and it is in alberta as well so um, because that one can be so similar in some respects especially as you yeah your canola is ripening you might see this premature ripening um, getting out to make sure that that's actually what you're seeing is really important i actually have those stems that you're seeing in the slides i tried to laminate them the slide's much better my laminator was so mad at me <laughs> trying to fit those sclerotia bodies through your laminator <laughs> yep <laughs> that that would be the telltale sign though that it's thirtinia not verticillium that you're dealing with yep as you progress you know once you start getting further into the season that's something you can look for I think the earlier symptoms, you know, if you are hitting the season, um, you know, when you are getting that petal drop and initial infection, you know, looking for that white fuzz and some of that bleaching um, can be a sign. And then if you're really not sure, getting a second opinion or just coming back a little bit later, all good things to do. Yeah, makes sense. Lyle, how about you when you're scouting, kind of doing the later season assessment as to whether sclerotinia was a was a problem? What do you what's your process like at that point? Well, this time of the year, first thing I'm doing as soon as the flower petals start to drop is I just start watching those leaf axles. And I always tell everybody, you'll always find what you're looking for if you look long enough for it in the field. So I haven't really found much for sclerotinia or anything at this point yet. There's a few spots. Lots I've seen that might be turning into something we'll see in the next week but uh, yeah I'll just continue watching from now you know pretty much as the crop matures and see where the disease develops and how severe it becomes that would be in under irrigation where would you be looking well I'll be looking under dry land as well but uh, there's yeah. at this rate there won't be many leaves left to check the axles of okay I'm really Peter's loving Lyle. <laughs> He's still going to look for it, even though yeah. <laughs> all, all things point to it. Yes, because I, yep. I do yeah. believe that's, a, that's what a good agronomist does. Yeah. Good point, Jeanette. Peter has another question here about provincial trials for uh, evaluating genetics for sclerotinia. And I, I believe the canola performance trials look at blackleg and club roots susceptibility or their ratings for those, but I'm not sure about sclerotinia. I don't think sclerotinia is on the list. Do either of you know? Maybe somebody else in the comments can weigh in the comments as well. No, my understanding is if you can label your canola with that R for, so that resistance 
or club route, you know, you have very specific checks, etc. Um, that's what is being looked for, but I don't believe that there's anything there for sclerotinia currently. Not to say that it's not possible, because in the past, obviously, there, there was varieties that boasted, you know, a tolerance, but um, I'm not sure that it's actually the same process. Okay. Lyle, a question here from Lindsay. Is verticillium on the radar in Alberta? Jeanette mentioned it moving into Saskatchewan. Are, do you have it on your radar? Are you finding it at all in uh, in your part of Alberta, southern Alberta? Oh, yes. It's actually made a pretty big presence here, but it's not always commonly known. I'd like to think most agronomists are very well aware of it, but it is quite commonly it's kind of mistaken for blackleg in the stubble post-harvest just by visual outside appearance until you start to section off that stem but uh, yeah we it, it really started to show up a few years ago in some of the blackleg disease testing that we were doing through some of the labs and actually just last week i saw some canola that had some hail lesions on the stem and already had it developing okay that's actually it's interesting i know uh, we did a a separate canola school episode earlier this summer with Chris Mancher of the Canola Council of Canada, who I think we might feature in our clip here coming up. But uh, Chris talked about how blackleg, at least the finding here in Manitoba, I know it's mainly anecdotal, I think at this point, not a lot of research behind it, but there seems to be a connection between blackleg and, and verticillium, uh, where, and, and hail would be another example, just where there's a combination of stressors on the crop. That's where verticillium seems to uh, take advantage of that, uh, that type of situation with that coincide with what you're seeing, Lyle? Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Leg, legging again. Go ahead. Oh, I'm done. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) All good. I know you had a slide here, Jeanette, uh, in terms of, Lyle just mentioned uh, verticillium being confused with black leg, and that was another one of the slides that you had here in terms of... uh, that cutting at, at swath timing or at harvest timing, what that profile looks like on the on the stem. Why don't you explain what we're looking at here? So, yeah, again, and Lyle is not wrong. I think until you get used to seeing verticillium, and really it's kind of the new kid on the block, right? So easy, easy to do. Um, but again, yeah, uh, very good at playing dress up and looking like other things. So sclerotinia is, is one thing. And then black leg also pretty common to mistake. Um, and then like Lyle says, I, I love cutting stems. Anastasia showed me how to do that way back when. And now don't invite me to your field if you don't want stems clipped because I can't stop myself. But it's interesting because um, I was learned in university that when you saw stem discoloration in that cross section, that it was black leg. And I've since learned that that's not true um you know it's a good place to start um but there's quite a few other things that can cause discoloration and verticillium is definitely one of those that black leg definitely tends to have more of that chunk uh, just because it does tend to infect cells all around so really gum up that xylem whereas verticillium doesn't necessarily have to infect the stem the the cell right next to it it can go somewhere else. And so that's why we tend to see maybe a starburst or just that light gray just discoloration. So now I always try to couple that with uh, looking for, you know, pycnidia, 
uh, for black leg, which we can see on that outer stem there, or you know when that epidermis starts peeling back, we can see those microsclerotia. But I'm 100% with Lyle. If, if you're not sure, send it away for testing. We have some really great options there. And for sure, that, that'll confirm what you're seeing. And, and like you say, maybe you're having more than one thing going on in your canola. Maybe you have black lake and verticillin. Maybe you have sclerotinia in there too. So um, finding out all the things that you have can be hard if they're all occurring together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good points there, Jeanette. Uh, I should point out, uh, Jason mentioned in the chat here, Jason C., that uh, the Canola Grower Association made the decision to discontinue the variety trial program. That's something that I, uh, I should have uh, pointed out before too. The prairie-wide, the canola performance trials that we mentioned before, I don't think that they're happening this year. They were canceled after last year, I believe, in terms of uh, there was a funding decision made there by the provincial uh, canola grower groups. It used to be run by the Canola Council of Canada, but uh, yeah, there's a whole backstory there. We're not. This isn't a news and policy show. What are we doing here talking about? <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, thank you, Jason. For, yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you, Jason, for, for noting that, though. An interesting point here from Warren Schneckenberger in Ontario, cereal rye having suppression effects on white mold in soybeans. That's not something that I've heard uh, in Western Canada being used. In, I guess we are seeing some more exploration of cover crops. The dry conditions aren't maybe helping with uh, that adoption right now, but uh, something interesting to, to consider. I don't know. Lyle, do you have any thoughts on, on the potential use there of a, a different type of tool in, uh, in addressing or suppressing certain? Uh, well, I have one customer that grows a lot of fall rye in rotation with canola, and uh, it definitely doesn't seem to be decreasing his slaritinia risk any. Um, I would say he's, oh, you know, area average or so. So, yeah. Okay. So, anecdotally, not much of a difference. I'm also a little curious. I don't know that there's been any formal work done, but I know some of that allelopathy can be um, from fall rye can be more pre prevalent on smaller seeded crops. So it uh, might be an interesting study for somebody. Yeah, it might make more sense in soybeans than, than canola in terms of controlling that white mold dispersion. Okay. <laughs> Lindsay, yes, we would like to make it a policy show. We won't do that. Uh, why don't we play our next clip? Uh, it's with Chris Mancher of the Canola Council of Canada, and this actually goes back to a canola school that we filmed last year, uh, whether whether it's worth spraying for sclerotinia after a drought, uh, kind of the topic that we've talked about today. That's the, the name of this canola school episode that we're pulling this clip from. Again, it's with Chris Mancher of uh, the Canola Council of Canada. Jay, why don't you uh, roll that clip? Yeah, so in the weeks leading up to your fungicide timing, definitely keep an eye on how much precipitation you're receiving. Uh, the higher humidity, uh, the hotter it is, uh, is definitely going to create a very favorable environment for sclerotinia to actually have the, ger the sclerotia germinate and produce apothecia. So looking at both of the uh, past uh, precipitation in your area, as well as looking at the forecast in the near future for precipitation is going to be major factors uh, for that environment 
for that pathogen to be at its most uh, serious implications. There's also the very scientific method of walking through the field and judging how wet your uh, pants get. Yeah, so uh, definitely looking at your kind of overall climate and environment and weather, but you also have to kind of think about that microclimate within the canopy. Uh, those humid conditions brought on by this lush, dense uh, canopy of canola and just walking through and having wet pants is usually a great indicator that uh, the opportunity for that epithecia to actually germinate and spread spores is at its most. Okay. Our sponsors tonight are Adama Canada, Real Ag on the Weekend, and the Canola School. From preceding cedar setup and checks to pest insect identification and advice on nutrient management decisions to tips on determining swath timing, Real Agriculture's Canola School is a video series that tackles every facet of the canola growing season in an engaging and informative format. The Canola School is made possible through sponsorship by BASF Canada and Invigor Hybrid Canola. Find out more at canolaschool.com. I should have watched these clips before we played them. We should have played that earlier in the show. I know uh, the, the wet pants joke, <laughs> it's been shared a few times here. A good comedian doesn't do that, doesn't share a uh, same joke multiple times. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that the scientific method of uh, the wet pants test. That's one of the main talking points, I guess. I have with Sclerotinia, but uh, I think that point's been made now. I know uh, Chris has been doing some interesting research, actually, in, uh, on kind of maybe methods coming down the pipe in terms of uh, Sclerotinia control. We just talked about uh, potentially using cover crops or some alternative method like that uh, for the allelopathy, the suppression effect. Chris has also done his master's on... Uh, mRNA, sorry, not MR, it's RNAi, <laughs> don't want to mix those up, RNAi, uh, RNA interference technology, and I think that's kind of interesting in terms of potentially targeting uh, sclerotinia as a pathogen. I don't know, do you guys have thoughts on kind of this, what could be t coming down the pipe in terms of uh, tools for dealing with sclerotinia and dealing with this disease as, uh, as we have been, we're using fungicides at this time and crop rotation and uh, other methods like that, but do you see anything new on the horizon? Uh, Jeanette, why don't we start with you in terms of tools that farmers can look forward to when it comes to this disease? Yeah, I think that uh, RNAi specifically is super interesting. I, I know that they've proven the potential in several areas like sclerotinia. I just, um, if we go back into policy here, I know there's some hurdles there with public perception and getting things like that registered. So I'm not sure what I see for a timeline on those. Um, I think in the short term, I see fungicides and risk prediction as being our big tools. And then hopefully maybe in, in the longer term, we do start to see some other things crop up, crop up, huh? that we can use. <laughs> now you're yeah, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Lau, how about you in terms of, uh, are there any things that you're looking forward to or that you would like to experiment with in terms of uh, managing sclerotinia? Yeah, I do want to start playing with some of the, the biologicals, you know, things like contans and stuff like that. Um, I haven't really had any big uptick in usage of it here in this area, so I haven't had a chance 
chance to do any trials of it myself, but I'd like to do some side-by-sides with that. Okay. Shout out to Lara for joining us. Uh, Lara DeMozek used to be a colleague of ours at uh, Real Agriculture, and welcome back, Lara. Uh, and yes, Lyle, what was the temperature in your part of Alberta today? Lara says the truck temperature gauge shows 38. What, what's the temperature in your area? I gave up sweeping for Ligus when it was 36 degrees. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, uh, that won't help with the flowering situation and, uh, and on that dry line canola in southern Alberta. No, it's burning up pretty Lindsay notes, Yeah, Lindsay notes contents has been around for a while already. Where has it been? Or if, if it, I guess if it works, uh, why aren't we seeing adoption of it? Or, or do you think it's uh, there are still new situations where it could be applied? Not to single out a specific product, but I guess biologicals in general. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I haven't had a chance to really use it myself, so I'm as far as the effectiveness of it goes, I suppose that's up in the air as far as I'm concerned, but I'd like to give it a try. Yeah. Peter asks about temperatures. What temp- What's the preferred temperature range for Slurtinia or, or white mold? I, I assume uh, higher temperature means higher evaporation rates, less humidity in, in the canopy. Jeanette, do you have any comments on, on temperature there? Yeah, I uh, no Holly Dirks in here, so I can't give you exacts, but um, it definitely likes warm to too hot. I, I don't know. That's my definition of hot, though. But not too hot. Like like thirty. This is this is probably too much for it. I have one fly, one fly in here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and, and besides, I think we're at the point. I can't speak for for Alberta, but I, I feel like the rest of the West, Manitoba was probably the the last one seeding. And then I'm in North Dakota today and it looks like they're pretty similar, but we're on the tail end of flowering here now. So um, yeah, yeah, this hot shouldn't do us too much damage, I, I don't think. Okay. When we look at, uh, I guess, new ideas, what about zone spraying or, or spot spraying for for uh, sclerotinia or, or maybe other diseases might be more suitable. I'm not sure I thought through that process, but uh, variable fung- fungicide application using cameras and sensors and those types of things. Well, is that something that uh, that you see potentially having an ROI for, for your growers? Potentially. I do have the ability to actually generate maps itself using both drone technology as well as satellite. I was hoping to get to use it this year, uh, specifically on like some of the dry land acres where, you know, guys are saying, you know, like, hey, I've got potential here of, you know, maybe 40, 50 bushel canola, maybe it'd be worthwhile trying some variable rate spraying. But uh, unfortunately, those fields never really materialized on uh, dry land canola this year. And a lot of the irrigation growers would more likely to spray the whole field. So I haven't had actually had a chance to make a single map all season. Okay. Just one color, the whole map, one color. Prescription. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeanette, do you see there being uh, application for, for this type of technology in, when we're talking sclerotinia? Or, or would other diseases be more suitable in terms of uh, patches in the field kind of thing? No, I actually think sclerotinia is a really good candidate. I mean, um, here we're looking at something specifically to maintain uh, yield, p- 
potential, right? And we definitely know that areas of the field that do have high potential or, um, you know, maybe we had lodging specifically in areas, all things that contribute, you know, whereas sometimes I think of something like fusarium head blight, you're worried about your yield, but you're also worried about quality. So that's a little bit harder to make a prescription map. So no, we've done some trials in the past with BSF where uh, we've compared like a, a zone and on off uh, spray, you know, based on, uh, you know, that satellite imagery pre predicting biomass, what's worth spraying, what isn't worth spraying. And, uh, you know, not every time do you see that bump, but often you would see, uh, you know, a jump in return on investment if, if you did apply something like that. Yeah. And I think some of that equipment, were, it's certainly becoming more common on sprayers uh, when it comes to there's new sprayers coming out that uh, have, have optical spraying systems and then that type of thing. So fungicide might not be the first thing that people adopt, but uh, if you have the equipment already, Lyle, you may as well put it to use in, in some of these applications. And welcome yeah, back. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, did we go through all of your slides, Net? I think uh, they were mainly talking about the scouting differences there, right? In terms of uh, the pictures? Yep. Yep. No one I was saying to Kara before, I, I think the one that we didn't pop up was the one from Snowflake, Manitoba, which she found particularly funny because she didn't know we had a place called Snowflake. <laughs> <laughs> Snowflake, but, uh, which I think is, they've actually had some rain this year too, right? Oh, I feel like Snowflake, isn't that the hail capital? That's actually oh, where the, Oh, yes, you're right. They're oh. the hail. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, no, they, they definitely usually get their share. I think they've been a little bit drier this year. So, again, having to go assess. But, no, I had popped that one up, and I think we've already made the plug for that one is, uh, you know, go scout your fields because premature ripening can be a multitude of things. Um, just happens to be one of the places where we have, uh, you know, we have a, a couple of areas in Manitoba where we have club root as well. Just one more canola disease to think about. So, yeah, yeah, looking back Ooh. to see what you have. Lyle, what does your area have in terms of club root, or what's your experience dealing with club root in Alberta? I know <laughs> here on the eastern side of the prairies, we we uh, we don't all have it yet, and we hear we've heard the horror stories from central Alberta. What's it like in in your part of the prairies? Luckily in my part, it's pretty good and clean so far, but uh, you only have to drive about two hours to be right into the thick of it. So my personal experience with it has been pretty limited to some tours and, you know, information sessions, stuff like that. And uh, we're just hoping that it doesn't get established here and trying to uh, nag guys to clean any equipment that they buy. Yeah, knock, knock that dirt off. Yep. We do have we do have club root ratings. Uh, Jason suggest here that uh, Jason Boak suggests we talk more about uh, genetic tolerance when it comes to verticillium stripe. Do you, uh, I guess right now we're still, I think, trying to wrap our heads around this disease and trying to understand it. Do you, do you foresee genet, uh, down the road genetics companies, seed companies, uh, working on, on having more information about ratings and, and that type of thing, maybe even pathogen down the road if we get that level of understanding uh, when it comes to verticillium stripe as well? Yeah, I act, I feel like despite verticillium being an issue in Europe for a long time and and nothing really coming about in, in terms of like monogenetic 
uh, resistance. I feel like researchers are probably closer now than they have been. And there's definitely some projects going on um, at some of the universities and with Ag Canada as well, where they're specifically looking at this. And then the companies are paying attention as well too. Um, I can speak for BSF, but I'm sure this goes for more of the canola companies as well. But our breeders are definitely hard at work um, you know, just like we do for other canola diseases, it's all important to the package. And so they have been looking at tolerance so far um, and then keeping tabs on what might become available in terms of, of resistance for the future. But currently at this point, it is just down to um, looking at different tolerances. And uh, we do tend to see that gen newer genetics seem to be better and I'm not sure why that is. Um, but the other thing, and I, I think someone alluded to it earlier when we were talking just about keeping a crop healthy and stress-free, that might've been you, Kelvin. Um, and that does seem to help if you can pay attention, you know, right from the get-go and, you know, make sure that your, your stand is within that, you know, five to seven plants per square foot, that you've managed your pests the best you can. And then again, this, all rolls back to disease management, you know, just trying to keep it stress-free and healthy that by the time you roll around to harvest that hopefully verticillium is not a huge issue. Okay. Jason notes that one company is already providing ratings uh, to verticillium strip. I know there is, like you said, there is some research happening as well. University of Manitoba, I know, I believe Fernando Dolanco maybe, I'm not sure which respect. I think it's him that uh, has had a project looking at this as well. And I think under the new uh, Canadian Agriculture Partnership, this SCAP, I think there might be some projects uh, receiving funding there too in terms of uh, improving understanding of verticillium stripe. Is that, Lyle, I guess you say that's uh, that's coming on in Alberta as well. That would be relevant information for your growers as well then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Lara notes here that they've been able to do some mapping, yeah, on-off fungicide by zone based on on uh, ground imagery uh, instead of satellite imagery. But uh, yeah, so it, I guess with fungicide, it'd be mainly on-off, not necessarily varying rates. You'd, you'd, it'd be an on-off type thing, right? Yeah. Do we need to worry at all? I, I know uh, neither of you are pathologists here. Do we need to worry about resistance at all when it comes to sclerotinia and the fungicides that we, that we have on the market? I would, yeah. I would definitely worry about it, uh, you know, overusing something like a, you know, group 11 or something like that for years on end could definitely have an effect. Yeah. Jeanette, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I, um, I agree with you. I, I tend to take the more agronomy lens than pathology, but here's one where I would say sclerotinia is lower risk you have that one big cycle instead of a bunch of little cycles like leaf diseases but i'm with lyle it, it never say never right like this this can happen and we definitely have enough acres of canola that we spray so um yeah i i agree like trying to do multiple things is always the best choice rather than just relying on fungicides as the single route to manage it yeah and i think that brings us kind of full cycle here in terms of uh managing this sclerotinia and, all, and other diseases in canola too, whether it's uh, verticillium stripe, black leg, glove roots, uh, rotation, genetics, uh, fungicide tools. There are, 
there's a different combination or different packages for each of these, but kind of the same. It comes back to that disease triangle and that uh, managing uh, against that that pathogen. Uh, Lyle, any final thoughts then as uh, I think we're getting close to the top of the hour here in terms of wrapping up when it comes to sclerotinia management and kind of what you see the rest of the, when it comes to the rest of the growing season here? Uh, I guess we'll just kind of keep on top of it, see how things develop um, as far as dryland crops go. If your crop looks good enough that you want to protect it, it's probably worthwhile spending a little bit of money on. You only got to save one or two bushels to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Wheat peat does make a, a note here. If if you're targeting multiple diseases, then there might be a case for uh, multiple rates of, of fungicides, say white mold versus a, a leaf disease. Uh, of course, you'd have to have the right chemistries that you're working with then too. But I guess there could be situations where, where uh, a multiple tiered uh, rate approach, a two-rate approach, not necessarily on and off, uh, would be would be relevant. Jeanette, any final thoughts before we say uh, goodbye and thanks to everybody for joining us this evening? I'm just going to say you probably made all the pathologists happy because you referenced <laughs> the disease triangle several times. <laughs> and no, I would say just finish up with scout, scout, scout. It's, uh, we've obviously passed our fungicide timing, but now is the time you got to go to make sure you know what's happening in your field. Did you make the right judgment call? Is it something else that you weren't expecting? And these are all good things to know heading into next year. Yeah, we're already at the point of the growing season where this is about informing decisions for 2024 at this point, just because, yeah, we're looking at what kind of exposure we've had to disease and the impact it's had. And, of course, seed companies will be uh, rolling out their uh, marketing for uh, for the new crop year here soon, too, so not too uh, not too far away. Uh, with that, and I should I mention, uh, I think Warren mentioned in the chat before, he's, he's harvesting wheat, so wheat harvest underway in in uh, southern Ontario and here in Manitoba. I was actually working on the combine when Lindsay messaged earlier that we might need a different house today. So uh, thank you all for uh, for joining us this uh, this evening. And thanks for putting up with me as uh, as the host, uh, a less knowledgeable agronomist or a less knowledgeable agronomy uh, expert than, uh, than Lindsay. So, and uh, of course, thanks to both uh, Lyle Jensen of uh, Agro Plus and Jeanette Goche of uh, BSF for uh, doing a great job as our, our expert panel on this uh, on this topic certainly relevant uh, across uh, across western canada as we uh, continue to deal with this common disease in uh, in canola and some of these other diseases that are up and coming like verticillium stripe as well uh thank you both lyle and, and jeanette for joining us today awesome yeah, thanks, thanks for having me sorry about the leg <laughs> oh that's i don't know if it's your fault there and there's jeanette's signature phrase if you watch any uh, agronomy school and real agriculture where, that Jeanette's on, it usually ends up with uh, with a good awesome at the end. So awesome, awesome show today, everyone. Thank you for, for joining us. And again, if you have uh, if you are looking for CEU credits, check out realagriculture.com slash agronomist to backslash agronomist tomorrow. Uh, the agronomist will, of course, be back next Monday evening, uh, hopefully with Lindsay hosting next week, 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, Mountain Time. Uh, it's hard to believe next week it's going to be July 31st already on on Monday night. But uh, thank you again for uh, for joining us today. Again, you can find more on uh, the Canola School series on realagriculture.com when it comes to dealing with Sclerotinia and Canola. And the Soybean School series, of course, has uh, plenty of content around, uh, and Wheat Pete's Word, around uh, white mold in, in soybeans. So thank you all for uh, joining us, and uh, have a great rest of your evening tonight. <laughs>